Uh, keep your Bibles open there. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Mundaring. It's great to be with you this morning. This morning, uh, this is our second in our two-part series as we think about the vision of the church. That is, we're thinking about where we want to go as a church. Where are we headed? And we've come up with, with a vision of where we want to see the church go over the next few years. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the language of vision, uh, a vision is like a photo of the future. So imagine you got into a time machine and you travelled to the future and you took a photo of this church in, say, like three years' time or five years' time. What would that photo look like? So you could go to the future, take a photo, and you brought it back to now. What would that photo look like? What would you want to see in that photo? And if that's what we want to see then what do we need to do now in order to get that photo in three years' time or in five years' time? If that's what we want to see, what do we need to do now in order to get there? That's what we're doing as we're thinking about our vision and where we're headed. And so this is the vision, the photo that we've come up with where we want to go over the next few years. Here it is. We want to be a church known for our love of God and for each other. We want to be outwardly focused and missional people who love and serve God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, Last week, Glenn took us through the first couple of parts of that vision, and it's my job this morning to take us through the last part. That is, we want to be a people... Who, who, a group of people who love and serve God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as we think about that, as we think, it, think about what it means to love and serve God with everything we have, then I think we need us to wrestle with this question. The question is this, what does God think of us? As Mundaring Church of Christ... What does God think of us? What is God's opinion right now of this church? Have you ever thought about that before? Have you ever considered that perhaps God has an opinion about us? He has opinions about other churches. For example, think about the letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. They show us what Jesus thought about those churches. Jesus gives his opinion and his evaluation and judgment of those churches. And if Jesus does it for those churches, he probably has an opinion and an evaluation for us too. And so if Jesus was to write us a letter like he did to them, what would that letter say? What would his opinion be of us? And to answer that question, we need to know what God cares about. You know, if we want to know what God thinks of us, then we need to measure ourselves against what God cares about. We need to work out what's high on God's priority list and focus our attention there. And as we read in that passage, the Pharisees are trying to work that out too. They're trying to work out what God cares most about. 
And there's this debate going on in the ancient world amongst the Pharisees, the kind of teachers of the law, the religious rulers. There's this debate going on about which commandment is the greatest, which is the most important. Which commandment does God care about most? And so one of the teachers of the law, he comes to Jesus with that question. They want Jesus to weigh in on a debate that they've been having for a while. Which commandment is the most important? Which one should, be, should we be focusing on? And without hesitation, Jesus gives the answer there in verse 29. Look at it with me. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The most important command, the thing that God cares most about, is that you love Him. Now, that hopefully shouldn't really come as a surprise, because Christianity is a religion, and like all religions, loving the God that you follow is default. Uh, that's just kind of at the top of the list. But what's surprising is that Jesus doesn't start with the command, does He? He starts with that other little bit. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus doesn't begin with the command. He begins with the unity of God. God is singular. He's one. And the oneness of God is important because we live in a world where people claim that there are lots of gods. There's Vishnu, Dilga, Ungud, Zeus, Athena, Chantico, just to list a couple that I just got off the internet. There's lists and lists of gods and deities all across the world from all different parts of history and culture. There's like thousands of them. And in amongst that plurality of gods, we meet the one God. And if God is one then we owe him our exclusive allegiance. God does not share his glory with another. It's not that we add Yahweh to the list of gods that we follow. You know, a god for the rain, a god for the mountains, a god for the rivers, a god for my sin. No, God is one, and so he deserves our exclusive devotion. Now, I'm guessing that most of us here don't have different gods. You know, we're largely kind of modern Western people, and so we're probably not battling a family history of ancestor worship or, or idol worship. But I think that we do like to section God off into a tiny corner of our lives. You know, I've got, I've got my dentist for my teeth, I've got the accountant for my taxes. I've got the mechanic for my car. And I've got Jesus for my sins and for when life gets really hard. Like a butler, I'll just call up God whenever I want something from him or when I think I need a checkup. But that's not what the oneness of God means. If God is one then we are to give him exclusive access to every area of our lives. 
We're to love him with everything we have, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Which means that we're not just Sunday saints or Monday missionaries or the Friday faithfuls. No, all of the week, at every single moment, we are to love God with everything that we have. And we'll come back to that in a bit because that's our focus for today. But Jesus doesn't just give the top command, he also gives the second one, which is to love others. Look at verse 31. The second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. These are two different commands, but they're also inseparable. The, the love for others grows out of our love for God. You can't love God and hate everyone else. If God loves us, and if we love God, then of course we love others. These commands, they're different, but they're also inseparable. You can't have one without the other. And when Jesus says, love your neighbours as yourself, he doesn't just mean your neighbour that lives next door or over the fence, but everyone who you know or come in contact with. Whether that's good friends or acquaintances or people that you barely know, all of those people are our neighbours. They're the people that we share the same spaces with. It's anyone that we come in contact with. And, and so the question isn't, it, it's not, who is my neighbour? The question is, how can I be a good neighbour? Given the people I'm in contact with, how can I love them like how I love myself? You know, we, we all love ourselves. Let's not kid ourselves about that. We all love ourselves. If we're hungry, we get something to eat. If we're thirsty, we get something to drink. If we're cold, cold, we put on a jumper or we turn on our heater. We, we look after ourselves. And if we love ourselves like that, then we should be doing that for others. If someone's hungry, do we get them something to eat and drink? If someone doesn't have anything warm to wear, or is living outside, do we help them out? And that's just our basic needs, the way that we love each other with our basic needs. But we also love ourselves enough to buy nice things that we don't necessarily need. We love ourselves enough to go out for nice dinners. And, it, and what Jesus is saying is that if we love ourselves enough like that, then we also need to be loving others like that as well. Well, Jesus has given the man his answer, and this great teacher of Israel agrees with Jesus' interpretation of the law. But he also makes a really important connection that we need to make too. Look at verse 32. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. 
to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. This guy is in total agreement with Jesus. But then he says that doing those two commands is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices anyone could give to God. And that's the really important connection that we need to make. See, if you were a Jew living in Israel, then you would be going to the temple and doing sacrifices, and that's something that God would want you to do. But if you're not loving God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, then those sacrifices were pointless. See, those sacrifices were meant to focus your attention on God, on our need for Him. And so what really mattered wasn't so much the sacrifices, but what was going on in our hearts. If you weren't loving God, and if, we weren't, if you weren't loving others, then all of the sacrifices were pointless. See, if we do things out of a love for God and a love for others, then that was what counted. That was what mattered. And so, you know, we can go to church every week. We can be the nicest, most caring and most hospitable person ever. We can help others in need. We can do all this good stuff. But it all counts for nothing if in our hearts we don't genuinely love God and if we're not genuinely loving others. What matters most is what's going on in here. And that, what is in here, should be flowing out to, to helping and looking after others and loving God. There's one final surprise for us in this passage. And the surprise is that the man isn't yet in the kingdom. Do you notice that as we read it? Look at verse 34. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. After the answer that the teacher teacher gave, you'd expect him to be in the kingdom, right? You know, the man is on the same page as Jesus. And he's even made the link that it's about what's going on in your heart rather than what we do. And yet Jesus says, says that he is not yet in the kingdom. He's near, but he's not quite there yet. And I think there's two possible reasons why he's not in the kingdom. Number one, it could be that the man isn't doing that. That is, he doesn't love God and he doesn't love others. He might understand it logically, but he isn't living it out. It could be that. It's a possibility. But I wonder if it's actually because the only way to enter the kingdom is through Jesus. And to love God and to love others, that makes you a really good Jew. But to be a Christian is to know God as your father which means that you have to be loving and following and trusting Jesus. That is the only way to enter the kingdom of God. 
Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. How you get into the kingdom is through Jesus. And I think that's the part that the man hasn't quite got. He's got what life in the kingdom looks like, but he hasn't worked out where the door is. And that is Jesus. You know, loving God, loving others, that's how you live once you're in. But how you get into the kingdom and stay in the kingdom is through Jesus. See, loving God and loving others, it doesn't bring you salvation. There are plenty of people who love God and there are plenty of really loving people. But salvation begins and ends with Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, then you don't have God. And so you don't have the kingdom. You need to belong to the king to belong to his kingdom. And if you're already a Christian, then loving God and loving others is the right response to the salvation that Jesus has won for us in his death and resurrection. Obviously, I'm trying to be really careful about what I say because I don't want anyone to leave here thinking that to to become a Christian or to stay a Christian involves loving God and loving others. That's how we live it out. That's how we live for Jesus. That's how we, that's how we, we live in the kingdom. It's not how you start. You start off being a Christian and you stay being a Christian through Jesus. To cling to him. And then the way that we live that out is by loving God and loving each other. And God really does care about that. It really matters to God that we are living out our faith. And so we we want to be a church that loves God and serves him with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. Because if we don't start with that, then everything else that we do and everything that we're working towards is going to be for nothing. We've got to have that first before we try and do anything else. If we don't have that, it's going to be all for nothing. So I think, I gather, this is, I think this is right. We want God to take much for his glory, don't we? From this place, we want God to take much for his glory. We want God to use us to grow his kingdom We want to see people saved from wrath and judgment of God. We want people to see Jesus the King and to worship him and love him. And all of that has to start with the way that we are loving and serving God ourselves. Our love for God has to motivate us and push us on to to serve him and love and serve others. And so we need to learn to love God with everything Everything that we have, both our inner life, our mind and heart and soul, that's the internal things. It's the things that you can't see. But it's also the external part, our strength, everything that we do. We're to serve God with everything that we have. And so how are we going to do that? How are we going to help each other love and serve God. How are we going to do that? 
And this isn't, this isn't a thing that's just for the adults. This also applies for everyone. It applies to the kids, to the teenagers here in this room. All of us are called to love and serve God with everything that we have. And so how are we going to do that? How are we going to help each other to love and serve God? Well, in the kind of vision document that we put together, we've come up with five things, five areas that we can work on together to help one another love and serve God. Number one, faith and trust. We sung this already. We live by faith and not by sight. And we do that because when we look out at the world, it can seem like God isn't doing anything. But if God is who he says he is, then he is absolutely at work. God is faithful and powerful, and he will accomplish what he's promised he would. And so we need to help each other to keep our focus on him. We need to be reminding each other to keep putting our trust and faith in him, to live by faith and not by sight, to kind of nudge each other on, to say, let's keep going, let's keep doing this. Secondly, we need to love. We need to help each other love God and love others. We want to help each other see the greatness of God in the face of Christ and to marvel at him, to love him for who he is and for what he's done for us. And I can't do that very well myself, which is why I need your help to help me with that. And I especially need your help to learn how to love others. We need each other. You know, there are people in this room, like myself, who aren't kind of emotionally intelligent, and so we're not particularly good at loving others. But there are other people in this room who are really good at that. And so I need your help to help me learn to love others. That's what we want to be. We want to learn to love God and love each other. We can help each other to serve God in that way. And thirdly, humility. You know, we can't love God if we think we're the best. And we can't love others if we think we're better than them. Loving God takes humility. You know, we are, when it comes to God and us, we are creatures and God is the creator. Which means that we won't ever know everything. God is so far above us that actually he doesn't need to give us all the information or fill us out on all his plans. God gives us enough to live by and enough to make good decisions, but he doesn't tell us everything. And so we're going to need humility to love God and serve him, to to realize that he is the one in control and not us. And we're going to want to help each other to cultivate that humility as we learn to love and serve God. Help each other be, be, be thankful and humble for the good things that God does give us. And not considering our own importance, but considering God and his glory and his greatness and his honor, not ours. And fourthly, Forgiveness. 
And part of humility is knowing that we can't save ourselves and that we need the salvation that God has provided for us in Christ. And the forgiveness that God gives us is to overflow as we forgive others. And the great thing about a church is that there are going to be plenty of opportunities for us to practice this one. This is going to sound counterintuitive, uh, but just stay with me for a moment. We will know that we're doing community properly if we're hurting one another. Sounds weird, but let me explain it. We will know if we're doing community properly if we are hurting one another. See, if we have authentic and real relationships with each other, then we are going to hurt one another and sin against each other. If we put people in close relationship with each other, then there's going to be arguments and disagreements and hurt and pain. Now, we can avoid all that just by keeping each other at arm's length. We can do that. It's easy. We, we could opt in for that and say, you know what, I don't want any of the hurt and pain, so I'm just going to keep everyone at arm's length. But that is not an authentic and real community. And so the closer that we get to each other, the more chance there will be to forgive one another. And so a deep and a real community needs to learn to forgive. We're not going to get depth without forgiveness. And so we need to help each other to ask for forgiveness and to give forgiveness freely and quickly. Because if God forgave us, then we can forgive one another. And finally, worship. Loving God with everything we have means that we worship Him. If we're not worshipping God, then we'll just end up worshipping something else. That's, that's kind of how worship works. We were made to worship God. And if we don't fill that gap with God, then we're going to fill it with something else. And so we're to worship God, not just by singing, but with everything that we have. Loving God with everything that we have is worship. It really matters to God that we are a church that loves and serves God with everything we have. And so our vision for the future is that as a church, we will help each other to love and serve God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so the question, the question for us is, will, will you join us in working towards that goal? That's where we're headed. Will you come with us? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for how you have so loved us that in Christ you have accepted his death on our behalf. Thank you for the new life and the salvation that we have in him. And we pray that we would love you with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. Father, please forgive us for the times where we haven't done that, where we have chosen to live for ourselves, where we have put ourselves first instead of you. 
We thank you that we can find forgiveness and that you do forgive us in Jesus. And Father, we pray that you would so work in us and amongst us that over the next few years we would really see change and growth, but not for our sake, but, your, but for your glory and for the good of others, we pray. Amen.